When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Social Security is one of the most complex and confusing federal programs. With over 2,700 rules, it's no wonder that we're confused about when and how to start collecting and who to turn to for help. Welcome to Social Security Answers from the Experts, hosted by Martha Shedden. In this podcast series, Martha meets with professionals to provide you with the answers to questions about this most important financial decision. And now, here's your host, President and co-founder of the National Association of Registered Social Security Analysts, Martha Shedden. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Martha Shedden, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming Lance Drucker to the podcast. Lance is a financial advisor, author, speaker, and is the president and CEO of Drucker Wealth Management, a third-generation firm serving pre-retirees nationwide. He has been honored as a multi-year recipient of the Five Star Wealth Manager Award, and Lance authored the book, How to Avoid Bag Lady Syndrome, A Strong Woman's Guide to Financial Peace of Mind. Lance, I'm so happy to be talking with you today. Well, thank you, Martha. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm looking forward to this. Great. Let's start with your story. Um, why did you go into financial planning? So, um, yeah, frankly, my um, guidance counselor in high school just had no other options available to me. So it was kind of default. <laughs> uh, no, actually, my dad started the firm back in 1959. So we, I'm Gen 2 and Gen 3 is actually my son, uh, who's probably the smartest of all three of us. And I've warned him he better not be the one to F it up. But so far, he's, he's doing a phenomenal job. And, and uh, so we're very fortunate. So yeah, this has always kind of been in my blood. You know, I think in a lot of families, when they sit around the kitchen table, there are certain things that they don't talk about. And I think the biggest one is probably money. You know, yeah. it's almost like a dirty word. So we grew up about, you know, I grew up in that generation that my dad had that uh, depression era mentality, because he had heard it from his folks. So, you know, on a Saturday, we would drive 70 miles, you know, away to save money on tires, forgetting about the gas and the time, but we saved money on tires. So that was the mentality that uh, he kind of imbued in me. And I have fortunately or unfortunately imbued that in my children. So um, the path continues. That's great. It's unique that it's uh, three generations now. Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen they, that you, before. Know, you know, most small businesses and, you know, regardless of anyone's success, we're still a small business, um, barely succeed, barely survive past the first three years from Gen 1. To get to Gen 3 without somebody totally messing it up is kind of amazing. And um, I just I think the values that my dad imbued in us, which are actually part of our um, our culture as a firm, you know, optimism, passion, proactive, and probably the most important one, grit. Grit? Grit, G-R-I-T. True. Fabulous grit. book by Angela Duckworth called Grit. And um, it's one of those things that, you know, you're as smart as you are. You really can't work on that. You're as talented as you are. 
But grit is something that can be learned and is the greatest indicator of your ability to succeed in whatever you do. I agree. I, I think of it as perseverance, but it's the same thing. It's yep. that doggedness to keep going. <laughs> you know, some may piece, people say it's just stupidity. You know, I, I've been training in martial arts for a number of years, and I'm uh, currently training in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I'm too old, I'm too slow, and I can't remember one move from one day to the next, but I keep showing up. And sometimes half the battle in everything is just that ability to just keep showing up into whatever it is. Yeah. And um, I think that's, that's one of those definitions of grit. So with that philosophy in mind, what is the unique philosophy or approach that you and your team use to help retirees plan for retirement? So I think it's, it's twofold. Um, one, and there's a wonderful book, uh, The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. And it came out about a year or two ago. And, and others, uh, Dr. Crosby has also uh, written a book, Behavioral Finance. Behavior is the most important thing of anything. It's not that you pick the best stock. It's not, not that you have the right index fund. It's none of that. I mean, now all that's important on the fringes, but it's our personal behavior, which drives outcomes more than anything I could possibly imagine. So as a part of that, you know, we went through a period of time where you know we were a typical financial advisory firm. We managed money. We dealt with their estate planning and protection planning. And I had an epiphany, or actually it was thrust on me about 15 years ago. And I was at a, um, uh, I was invited to a conference in uh, Northern California, a beautiful resort in the mountains, where they invited the top advisors in the country. And for whatever reason, I was able to kind of sneak in there through the back door. And the very first day, uh, they have these breakout sessions, and I'm sitting next to a gentleman who's about 15 years older than me. And we had a love connection the minute we started talking. You know, we're talking about our families and our future and where we came from and our beliefs. And it was like I found the older brother that I never had. And then every session, we sat next to each other. We had every meal. And at the last lunch, he said to me, Lance, can I ask you a personal question? I said, Bob, after all these, you know, we've spent all this time. Yeah, ask me anything you want. He said, Lance. How are you going to know when you have enough? Well, I crossed my arms because I'm a smart financial advisor. And I said, well, based on the trajectory of my net worth and based on a certain you know, interest rate and return scenario, by 55, I should be good. He said, Lance, I love that answer. That's great. You're obviously a top advisor. He goes, you're also full of you know what? I said, Bob, what do you mean? He goes, let me ask you something. He said, do you have a parents? I said, I do. He goes, how about your wife? They said, yes, she has parents too. He said, is it possible that either of them might become financially dependent on you? And I said, no, my dad did a good job, but my in-laws, it's possible. By the way, two years later, my father-in-law had a massive stroke, was paralyzed for the next 15 years. He has since passed and they hadn't planned um, uh, correctly. Plus he took social security at 62, which make a note, we're going to circle back how that's affected mom my mother-in-law who's left. And, um, and now I support mom and thank God I can, but it was a lack of planning. He said, Lance, are you philanthropic? I said, sure. He goes, would you like to be more? I said, I'd love to be more. He said, what if your kids don't want to just go to college, but God forbid they want to go to med school or law school? I'm saying that with a smile. Um, he goes, have you planned for that? And I hadn't. He said, where do you want to live? What if the market is lousy for the next decade? What if interest rates go up? What if taxes? By the time he was done, I was near tears. 
Uh, he literally shook my whole belief system of everything I knew. And he realized what he had done. And he put his hand on my shoulder and he says, Lance, we're going to work through this together. He said, you need to create a written financial plan. He said, and this financial plan can, is like a, like a three-legged stool. And the first leg is assets and asset allocation, of course. The second leg is a budget and not just your burn. What are you going through a month now while your kids are young? Second, when your kids are out of the house, if they should ever leave the house, which thank God they have. He goes, and third, when you and your wife decide to step off the hamster wheel. He goes, and then the most important thing is what do you want to be when you grow up? Where do you want to live? What do you want want your life to be? What's your purpose in life? Your goals. He goes, and then the combination of all those three parts of that three-legged stool will help you determine your plan. I literally thought like I had found like my meaning in life. And I spent the next 11 months after the meeting. Remember, this is about 15 years ago in the, the um, fintech, which really wasn't that great back then, um, putting together my plan. And since that point, it is every decision, every financial decision that my wife and I make goes through the plan. And it doesn't mean we'll always, you know, we're not slaves to it, but now we understand the outcomes of our decisions, behavioral and otherwise. And that's what drove us to our other epiphany that the first was behavior drives everything. Uh But the second one is we are a planning first firm. And if you were kind enough to come to us and said, Lance, I heard all about you and you're wonderful. And I want to give you my $5 million portfolio, my $100,000 portfolio. We'd say that's wonderful. But first, we need to do the plan that we call a flip, financial life plan. And if somebody said, well, Lance, I really don't want to do a plan. I just really want to invest with you. Uh-uh. We'd say that's great. But frankly, we may not be the right advisors for you because you know, everybody just wants to know what's the best stock, what's the best fund, forgetting about what's happening right now, even though the market is up as we speak, you know, over 600 points. And you know, that could be a dead cat bounce or maybe it's the end of the beginning or the beginning of the end. I don't know. I'm not that smart. I think about, um, I realize I'm talking a lot. Should I stop and take a breath? No, no, because my next question was exactly what you're describing, his plan and so eating Bob. So yeah, so Bob changed my life. Um, you know, we're still in contact and, and he realizes what he did, you know, first, like he, he basically, it's like joining the Marines. Um, you know, they break you down to your core and then they build you up in their own vision. And, you know, apparently it works. Um, same thing with Bob. He definitely, you know, I was a pretty successful advisor at that point, but since then it's been like steroids for our firm because everyone on our firm has drank the Kool-Aid. Now, what's funny is no one on my team, because a lot of young people understood what the, where the phrase drank the Kool-Aid came from. Oh. So that was a, um, a big wake up call for all my team when they understood it wasn't really, a, I use it as a good thing, but that's not really where it came from. But yes, yeah, so moving on, uh, but everyone has drank the Kool-Aid and and understands how important the plan is. And my son, Gideon Drucker, the third generation, who's, as I said, you know, our last four hires were not for my portion of the firm, but for his. His capacity, you know, he's working almost like, you know, triple shifts, 24-7, because there are so many young, and when I say young relative to where I am, anyone under 55 is young, um, there's just a thirst. And I think especially the millennials, Gen Xs, whatever you want to call them, 
are very cynical as a group because, you know, when you and I were coming up, there really wasn't the ability to get all this information. But now nobody does nothing unless they Google it, research it, and they know everything. As a result, they're very cynical because unfortunately, a lot of people in our wonderful profession um, maybe don't espouse the same value system that I think you and I probably share of, you know, why do people work with us? Because they like us. They trust, they trust us. You. Yeah. And most importantly, they believe that we have their best interests at heart and that we are, in fact, operating in a fiduciary right. capacity, not just with the word, but actually this is part of who we are. Um, right. You know, our, our tagline, which I stole from Ray Dalio and his book, Principles, uh, one of the most successful hedge fund managers ever, brutal honesty, radical transparency. And that's really what we do. We, you know, when we tell clients, look, we have a call, I have a call a couple of hours with a couple that paid off their mortgage on their home, on their vacation home, put aside money. Like they're, to anyone looking in, in wonderful shape and they make a lot of money. But their plan doesn't work as well as they think it's going to. And I'm a little uncomfortable because I'm going to have to share that. That's what they're paying us for. And I told them that. You know, what they choose to do about, we'll give them our recommendations, but that will be up to them. So we are now a planning first firm. And literally it's changed everything, not just for us as a firm, but more importantly for the people we're speaking to. Well, and I, I just value that so much, especially um, because so many in our generation, and I was one of them, did my own investing actually. And then, but once I reached retirement age, I wanted help with that plan because like you said, that the wealth accumulation is the easy part. It's the deaccumulation, and there are so many parts to that: your income, your account types, your expenses, taxes, and all those unforeseen circumstances that you were just talking about. Um, do you see a certain level of assets or wealth beyond which this process is just? too difficult for anyone to do on their own? I mean, it, it definitely needs technology to yeah, I, bring I mean, it together. If we're going to be honest, we're not putting a man on the moon here. You know, this is not, this ain't rocket science. You know, figure out your budget. You know, do you generate sufficient income? I mean, we can make it as simple as we want. The yeah. question, again, comes down to behavior. Everybody knows you shouldn't eat, you know, you should eat, um, what do they say? Breakfast like a king lunch like a prince and dinner like a pauper, right? Everybody knows that. That's not the American way. In fact, most people take in more calories between the hours of 6 to 9 p.m. at night than they do in all the other hours combined. We know this is not good for us. We know we shouldn't be doing that. Yet at 9 o'clock at night, you'll find me standing with my hand in the pickle jar, the other hand in the peanut butter jar, and I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. I'm just, I'm hungry and I need to eat. So again, behavior drives outcomes. You know, our definition of financial independence is the ability to do what you want, when you want, with who you want, for as long as you want. Again, you know, very simple. That's it. So, right. I, you know, the other thing is that you could have some a client who has a net worth of $5 million. And let's say it's all an Amazon stock. And by the way, I love Amazon. And you go to Costco to buy your five pounds of chicken wings for the upcoming Memorial Day barbecue. And you show them, here's my statement. I got $5 million of Amazon. Let's go. I want to pay for this. They go, great. How do you want to pay? So well, do you see my statement? I got 5 million of Amazon. They said, we don't really care how much money you have. Do you have a check? Do you have a credit card? Can you pay for this? 
as opposed to the person who's got $2 million of a well-diversified, balanced, dividend-oriented account that's generating income. That income is going into their checking account. And they say, great, here's my check. You know, let's, let me have the five pounds and throw in a six-pack with that. So the point is not so much how much you have sometimes, but do you have the right type? Because as you mentioned, there are three stages of money, accumulation, preservation, and distribution. Or the better word, which I love, um, that Tom Hegner uses all the time, de-accumulation. Yes. The opposite yeah. of accumulation. And the, yeah. you know, the basic verbiage is how do you turn this pot of money into a sustainable, potentially increasing income? And here's the key part that lasts as long as you do. Because yeah. to have your income stop a month before you do is problematic. That's really our main mission with all of our retirees. That's that longevity risk. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, I have to ask you about your book, How to Avoid Bag Lady Syndrome, A Strong Woman's Guide to Financial Peace of Mind, because I am uh, the same way about um, educating and helping women with their social security election decision, because there's so much to lose there. Sure. What prompted you to write a book for financial planning for women? And what did you find out when you were writing it? Were there some big revelations? So um, a couple of things. What prompted it was I was early in my career and I'm sitting with a, a woman named Deborah. And Deborah was a very successful mid-50s woman in the fashion industry. And um, I was intimidated. She was more successful than I was. She was prettier than I She's just in every way. She was more accomplished. I'm just a young kid. I'm getting started. I don't really know what. So I'm sitting and I'm talking to her. And I, I really, I was a little tongue-tied. She was, she was very intimidating. And, and I said, and it just, I don't know why it popped into my head, but I said, what keeps you up at night? Like, what, what do you worry about? I was, it was a Hail Mary. I had no real you goal. Know I, didn't know what else I, was, to say. I didn't know what else to say. Tongue-tied. Yeah. I just, she, she just, she scared me, frankly. And she said, oh, that's easy. And I said, okay, this, maybe this is going somewhere. She says, I'm terrified of becoming the best dressed bag lady in Manhattan. Now I was like 25, 26. I'm, you know, I, I didn't really understand. And then I started to ask that question. So my dad had introduced me to an organization called WIT and it was Women in Telecommunications. It was an organization. So one would refer me to another and then they had us speak at their Christmas dinner one, one time. And so I was meeting all these women. So I started asking all these women, these successful women, what keeps you up at night? And son of a gun, if I didn't keep hearing that same answer. And they didn't actually mean, you know, having to live out of their car, although maybe one or two of them did think of that. It was this concept of a loss of independence. What happens if? What happens if it stops tomorrow? And what we, real, what we started to learn as I wrote the book and started to dig in is, number one, women live longer than men. You know, I had done a workshop. I was young and there was this older couple. And I said, I was going through that. And he, he says, excuse me, do you know why men die before their wives? And I knew what the answer was, but I had to give him his opportunity. It was a room full of people. He says, because they want to. And why do? So that was, uh, <laughs> yeah, you'll think about that. So, uh, so women live longer than men. That was the first thing. Secondly, a lot of women, you know, step away from the workforce for a period of time, which affects everything. 
their what used to be called a pension, but their contributions to a 401k or their highest 35 years for, you know, for social security. So they're not in during that period of time. And then there was a movie, um, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Oh, and I love that movie. Everybody, because it could have been any ethnic group. It didn't matter, but it yeah. was great. And there was a scene where the daughter wanted the dad to do something. And she's saying to the mom, how are we going to get dad to, to change his mind? He's the head of the family. And the mom says, well, he may be the head, but I'm the neck. And where the neck turns, the head goes. So I always remembered that. And in a lot of couples, you know, uh, heterosexual couples, many times advisors are talking, you know, stupidly to one person and they make the mistake because, you know, what my dad was really clear about, he goes, hey, if you're speaking to a couple, there's a good chance that Mrs. Smith will be your client longer than Mr. Smith. So know who speak to both you know, the worst case and, you know, figure out who's making decisions. So, you know, we've gotten really good at asking, you know, is there somebody we should spend more time talking to or, you know, is it equal? So, um, so that's, that's what precipitated the book because I was saying the same things over and over. So I said, Hey, why not codify it into a book? And that's what happened. And, you know, it was a lot of work to, you know, writing a book is a lot of work. It's a lot of research. It's a lot of, it was a lot. It was like a part-time job. That was your last book, I take. I believe that was my opus. Now, my son, who loves to write, uh, he wrote his book, which is actually an Amazon bestseller, which is How to Avoid Henry Syndrome. Oh, I read about that. Yes. Tell the audience what Henry means. So, you know, what we we realized is there are a lot of young people who are making incomes that their parents would have only dreamed about. So they're high earners. But their issue is they're not rich yet. So Henry stands for high earner, not rich yet. And apparently it really tapped a vein um, because he's getting five to 10 inbound calls, emails, texts, messaging a week of people saying, hey, I read your book and I heard about your webinar. And he kind of he specializes really with a lot of people in the tech industry at this point who have um uh, stock options that, you know, most of these people in tech who have restricted stock options, incentive options, have no idea what it actually means. I mean, it still confuses me. I have to call him to have him and his team explain it to me. So he's kind of become the, the expert on that. But um, yeah, writing a book has been very powerful because it allows people to hear your voice. Mm-hmm. And I think that was, for me, that was my main, you know, I wanted, it, it was really easy to just send a book to somebody and they say, hey, what do you believe in? What do you stand for? Here's your book. And now, you know, we can send an ebook version. It's made life a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you find that women are approaching their social security claiming decision different than men? And if so, why is that? I mean, you already, um, mentioned, you already mentioned life expectancy. Yeah. I think, you know, the percentages much, I'm sure much better than I do, but a significant of people still opt for early social security which is mind-blowing, which is getting back to my in-laws. So if you take Social Security, the earliest you can take it under normal considerations is 62. I believe it's about a 35% hit to your full retirement. But now it's 30%. Yeah. Okay. Um, discount. to mm-hmm. So FRA, yeah. your full retirement age is 66, 67 for most people. Right. Born after 1954. And then every year you wait, again, I'm preaching to the choir here, but every year you wait, um, after that, till age 70, uh, you get an 8% guaranteed increase. It's the best deal in town. 
But again, what do I keep harping on? Behavior. Mm-hmm. The number one thing we hear is, yeah, but a dollar in my hand today is a dollar in my hand. If I could have a nickel today or a quarter tomorrow, you know, I'll take the nickel because what if I don't live to tomorrow? We understand that. And what part of our financial life plan is part of the software we use is a social security analyzer. And it'll show the optimal age, especially if it's a married couple, um, you know, gay, lesbian, heterosexual, it doesn't, right. you know, as long as they're married, it doesn't make a difference. And um, we'll, you know, we'll show the optimal amount. Now, the only caveat that I explained to our clients is, um, you know, depending on your health. So if everyone in your family drops dead by 74, like pretty much everyone, and you have health conditions, maybe we would recommend taking it a little bit early, not at 62, but maybe wait till at least that far, you know, full retirement age. But short of that, you know, so going back to my mother-in-law, so my father-in-law took it at 62. He passes and he lived till his early 80s, incredibly mm. And, um, but now my mother-in-law gets a minimal under a thousand dollars a month. And that was because of the decision that my dad made, my father-in-law made at that age. And frankly, I, my mom doesn't know she's a little confused and dad, my father, I suspect might've taken it a little bit early as well because it was there and he was in the business. So there's knowing and there's doing. What about the couples? And I've, I've talked with uh, three couples I remember distinctly that did not hire me to help them with their social security. But the man, the husband uh, was determined to just take that money at 62. And I knew that was a disservice to their wives, but they weren't even open to listening about it. So how do you, how do you work with clients like that? It's difficult. It is, you know, again, because our approach is you will pay us for your plan. So people who are willing to write a check to pay us to create a plan, which is not implementing it, it's not investing, it's not insurance, it's not nothing, it's just doing the plan. They're probably more apt to listen to our recommendations yeah, uh, because they've paid for it. And that's kind of been our, you know, we're at a point in our business life that if you're going to hire us, and not do any of the things we say, we don't need your business that much. It's like going to the doctor or going to your physical trainer and saying, I don't understand why I'm not losing weight and getting toned. And they say, well, show us a food log. And the food log consists of Burger King, McDonald's, and Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, well, there may be a problem in there. Uh, So, you know, the majority of our clients, we're very fortunate to either have really smart clients or we've weeded out the smart ones who say, this is not what I do. If you tell me what to do, I will, as much as I can, try to follow the dictates. So that's been a lot less because I'm living it with my mom and my mother-in-law of people who just didn't. Well, and those case examples are are really powerful to share with people. Sure. Absolutely. Um, I find that with our Social Security, there's nothing uh, more powerful than to see a really complicated Social Security like family with multiple minor children and a younger wife. Um, So this financial life plan, you require that of all your clients, correct? Yes. Yes. That's wonderful. Besides saving as much as possible for those who've not taken retirement planning seriously until later in life, um, what other steps can they take to improve their situation 
um, besides just increasing the numbers in their accounts. Yeah. So um, what we have found anecdotally when we do these plans, the number one best thing people who are getting ready to retire can do who may not be there, you know, they don't hit. So our plan uses Monte Carlo probabilities, which is gaming theory. Run yeah. 10,000, run 100,000 um, evolutions of the plan in, in all different situations. And it gives you a likelihood of success. So for us, anything over 85% is good. Then we're able to, using the software, further what we call stress test it. So recently I had to go to a cardiologist just you know, for a checkup and you know, they put you on the treadmill and they put the mask on you and you, you got to sign on. And all I cared about was what was the longest anyone else had been on it at my age group. So they told me at that height, it was 17 minutes. Well, I got to be honest. There was no way I was getting off that thing until 17.3 minutes. You're a bit competitive. I, it's a little bit of my type A personality, which is why I'll probably be dead soon from all that craziness built up. So to get people, to get that number up. So if they come in at 70, 75, and by the way, a 75% likelihood of success ain't bad. It just means three out of every four times, you're good. That's pretty good. <laughs> Unless you're in the 25% part. And you know we have an extended period of time where sequence of return risk pops its ugly head. Well, you just live a really long time. You know, Longevity risk, which you mentioned earlier, is a risk multiplier of all the other risks. Because yeah. the longer you live, the greater likelihood bad stuff can happen. Uh-huh. So the greatest thing somebody could do is just work an extra six months, work an extra year. Yeah. And what we have found is nobody wants to hear that. No, I had it in my head. I was done at 63. And we say, fine, that's okay. You're going to have to make some dramatic changes. But when we're able to show them in real time, if you work till 64 or even 65, here's how much better your life will look like. Because two reasons. Number one, you're still adding to the pot. And more importantly, you're not hitting the pot. Yeah, yeah. And allows you to defer taking pension, social security, whatever else might be out there. That is the greatest predicator. Now, a lot of clients, once we show them that, even though that really wasn't their plan at first, when they see the outcomes, they go, okay, as long as I can see a light at the end of the tunnel, yeah, I'm willing to adjust marginally what we have to do. Right. If they're not willing to adjust that, um, sometimes it's, it's as simple as, you know, again, it's that concept of um, we have a farm and on that farm, we can have cows or pigs. Now, how do you monetize a pig on a farm? Got to bring it to slaughter, right? And you could have spare ribs, baby back ribs, uh, bacon. You got a lot of good stuff if you like that product. But the problem is you don't got a pig anymore. It's done. How do you monetize a cow? Well, Milk. The milk. And then you take the milk. You can go to market, buy stuff, or buy more cows. So on our farm, especially as we get closer to retirement, I think what's really important is to have more cows on your farm, metaphorically, than, than pigs. So while I love Amazon, and I keep mentioning Amazon, and I do own Amazon stock, so it's not beating up on them, but just metaphorically, we want to have more, ah, I was going to say Coca-Cola, but more dividend-oriented companies you know, Lowe's, Home Depot, any company that's paying you to own them. What's fascinating is Warren Buffett, the Oracle of Omaha, has said as long as he's alive, he will never pay a dividend. And he has not. But the preponderance of his underlying holdings do. I think the dividend income stream is like $30 billion a year, some ridiculous number from his internal holdings. So he very much believes in dividends. He just feels that he could better invest the money to grow the pot. 
But in retirement, we're very much concerned on the ability to generate sustainable, potentially increasing income. Dividend stocks being one, an income-oriented portfolio, social security, a pension, annuities. We are investment agnostic. We don't care. They're all good. And if somebody wrinkles their nose and I don't like that, don't use it. But there are a lot of hours in the quiver, and it's really a function of how you're going to get there. Yeah. Um, what do you think are the most common misconceptions that the average consumer and actually the average financial advisor have about social security? Um, I think, you know, when I look at my own social security, I went online to ssa.gov, right? And you have to jump through a couple of hoops to set it up online. It is a little bit of a thing. But once you do, it's wonderful. So it'll tell you exactly. And it's a good idea, I think, for everyone. I'm sure you've been preaching this to the, to the, from the rafters uh, for everyone to go on because they do make mistakes. Mm-hmm. So number one misconception is um, social security is horrible. The organization, they're not. They are wonderful. We've had such positive experiences for our clients who have actually gone to a social security office or done a Zoom call. These people are bright, dedicated, and for the most part, they really know their stuff. So I think that's number one misconception. Number two, well, it ain't that much money. Oh, well, that is that is exactly what I first discovered. It's so assume it's not very much money. You know, by age 70, I think my number, my number, my personal number is. 4,300 a month. Yeah. Something along those lines. Now my wife is, you know, she has work, but you know, she raised our family. And and so she will get 50% of my social security. So if we just jumped ahead to make believe I was 70 today, you know, that would amount to approximately $6,500 a month. That's not an insignificant amount of money. Not over 20 or 30 years. It's not. Yeah. And you know, and then as bad as inflation is, the um, uh, Social Security, you know, got banged up pretty good last year, meaning it went up. So that's the, the first misconception is that the people at Social Security are horrible and, and are like the people at the Department of Motor Vehicle. It's a different organization. You know, if you've ever been to DMV, some people are great, but that's a whole other thing. But Social Security people are great. Number two, it does add up. Um, that's the second one. And um, the third one, which was just in my brain, was... Um, I can't remember. I hear a lot, especially from younger and even not. Right. Well, it won't be around. That was it won't be around. Right. So, you know, Social Security will always be there. It was not intended to be your sole source of retirement income. You know, I'm going to say a word or two words that, you know, may not play well anymore, but personal responsibility. I own my future. It's my fault. I own this. So, you know, that's Lance being on his soapbox, Um, but it was just meant to be a supplement to not the whole thing. So for those younger people, what I do think will happen, in my opinion, is A, will be there. But B, you know, when Social Security first came out, people retired at 65, they dropped dead at 66. That's just the way it was. You know, you had some freaks who lived to 80s, 90s, but it wasn't the norm. But now, because we have better meds, better health care, better eating, better everything, you know, we're all eating uh kale and uh, blueberries and acai bowls, acai bowls, uh, we're going to live forever. So we're living longer. So they raised retirement age from six, uh, for Social Security from 66, from 65 to 66 to 67. Fully expect it's going to go up. And in fact, I think it should. If it doesn't get to 70, you know, I would be very surprised. Um, mm-hmm. Again, you may have better insight than I do, but I, I do think, so I think that's what will happen. 
your ability to collect full retirement age social security will and should go up to age 70. So that's how they're going to help um, ensure that it will be around for decades to come. There are so many aspects to that program that can be tweaked in very small ways to extend the longevity of it. Um, How can financial advisors stay on the cutting edge of their business today? So um, our motto, because we have a lot of mottos and credos, but it's, I'm going to read it to you because it's on my desk here. It says, to simplify your financial life through a combination of technology and personal handholding so that you can enjoy more and worry less. So in that middle part is when you said, how can financial advisors? If as a financial advisor in today's world, if you don't embrace fintech or technology, mm-hmm. you're going to be a dinosaur. You know, when I, when I had to take my chartered financial consultant designation or my series seven, you had to have a financial calculator and you had to know how to, how to input the values to get options and muni value. I don't need to know any of that. I can Google it faster than you can figure it out. So I don't, I'm not, that's not what I do. Yeah. I am a, more than anything, a behavioral financial advisor. I keep using that word, changing behaviors. But in order to change the behaviors, we have to use technology to show you if you do this, here's the potential outcome. Because, excuse me, our financial life plans really become your financial decision center. So that when you say, hey, I'm thinking about buying that vacation home, am I going to be eating cat food when I'm 75 because I want to have this vacation home? Hey, let's figure that out now. And metaphorically, everything we do is in pencil. So if we need to change it, we'll change it. And I think the biggest challenge for people, it's there was a story in the book, The Psychology of Money, where um, Joseph Heller and uh, Kurt Vonnegut, famous authors, mm-hmm. had, get, had gotten invited to a, a party on Fire Island at this hedge fund manager's home, magnificent home. And they're walking around with their cocktails and they're just looking around. And they say, do you realize that this guy makes more in a year, this hedge fund manager, than we make together? in our lifetimes. And we're pretty successful novelists. And Joseph Heller turned to Kurt Vonnegut. He said, I do. He said, but do you realize we have something he'll never have? He said, what could that possibly be? And Joseph Heller said, enough. So that concept of how do I know when I have enough? How do you define enough? Because there's always more. There's always bigger, better, more, better trip. And I think, you know, too many, I think people talk that, especially the, the younger generation, you know, are, um, they don't get it. They don't understand. Some don't, but a lot do. A lot do. And they are very focused on building their own financial future. Yes. And what's interesting, another point that they bring up in that book, when you're born determines a lot, like the actual year you were born and how you perceive the world. So for instance, if you were born in um, late 90s, right? All you heard, or, you know, in, in the mid 90s, when, if you were paying attention, all you heard your parents talking about was in 2000, 2001, 2002, the tech meltdown. And then 2008, the S&P index was 57% of its value peaked to trout. So if you had $2 million, by March of 2009, you were down to um, you know, $800,000. So that's scary. So if you grew up hearing that, you do not want to invest in stocks, right? If you were born... You know, I was born in 63. So I knew, I remember inflation. I remember the wind buttons. 
People are whip inflation now. Yeah. Right? Because inflation was double digits. It was a big deal. Right? My kids, yeah, I don't even know what. 18%. It was. Yeah, right. Yeah, but again, if you were born like my, my kids in the 90s, what's inflation? Like, what is, I don't understand what that is. They you know? do now, I think. Oh, they do. You know, think about it. When you go to fill up gas in Jersey, you can't pump your own gas. So they take your card and they'll put $100 on the card to fill it. But if you're rolling in with a Suburban or a big Tahoe or a big truck, it's going to take $120, $140 to fill that sucker. So now they say, well, I'm going to have to put more than $100 hold on your card to fill it up because you can easily go over that. You know, that's inflation. Yeah. So um, that's a whole separate conversation. You know, what should we be yeah. doing now about that? But well, I like that, um, the thought about having enough. I think that's an excellent way to summarize that. Yeah. Um, where can people go to learn more about you? Do you work with clients remotely? So as horrible as COVID has been, and it is, it's just the fact that a technologically advanced world like ours can be literally knocked on its ass um, yeah. by this thing. And I think we got lucky, frankly, as, you know, as bad as it was. But in March, I just got March of 2020, my son and I and, and two buddies were coming back from skiing at West. And we saw a couple of people on the plane wearing a mask. And, you know, we were all kind of looking at this. I'm like, you know, wow, you know, their moms must have called them, told them you better wear a mask because there's this thing. And that was right before, you know, the world kind of shut down. And I have a beautiful suite of Park Avenue offices. We're very proud of them. And they came to us and said, you have to vacate the premises. You can't come into the office anymore. And I was, oh, my God, I've been doing this for 35 years at that point. What are we going to do? And we, you know, pulled up our big girl underwear and we said, we'll figure it out. And I had a team meeting the next week. And I said, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how we're going to figure this out. But no matter what, we're going to get through this. We're going to make sure our clients do. Now, remember also the market lost 30% of its value in three weeks back then. It was scary times. Yeah. And, um, you know, we said, whatever technology we've got to invest in, everybody's getting cameras and microphones and, you know, we zoom and what ended up happening. We are now a 100% virtual firm. The majority of our clients of our new clients are not in the tri-state area. In fact, you know, we actually like working with people outside of the tri-state area because it seems like in certain parts of the country, people are very nice. Patient and the common, they don't yell at us when bad things happen. So we like that a lot. Um, but so yeah, we're now a virtual um, firm, and as I said, the majority of our clients are not from. In fact, you know, to take that a step further, our last four hires are in California and Texas and Florida and North Carolina. Um, wow. The world has changed, and we needed to adapt to it. And what we found is, you know, I am on more calls. I mean, this is this little meeting between you and I today, this, this podcast, I think is my sixth call of the day. By the end of the night, I can't even talk to my dogs and I'm a little fried, but what it's done, it's, it's absolutely, you know, most of our meetings last half hour on average, maybe even less because, Hey, how are you? How was weekend? Great. Let's hit it. Let's show it. We're going to send you a DocuSign. That was the other big thing. Uh Prior to that, most financial forms could not be signed online. And then companies really quickly, to their great credit, said, all right, we'll accept DocuSign. And, you know, Mrs. Um, Goldsmith, who is 85 years old, who didn't know how to use her clicky for her remote control, now jumps on Zoom, has, you know, she sees her grandkids and all that, signing DocuSigns, and is probably more technologically advanced than 
you know, people 20, 30 years younger. So it's changed everything. And um, we're very grateful for that because it's made us more productive, efficient, and we're having more fun, you know, yeah. because I can walk my dogs like, you know, in the next 15 minutes, if I don't, there's going to be, you can hear a barking at my door. Um, so that's wonderful. So how clients can get a hold of us, our website, which we tell everyone, uh, it's druckerwealth.com. Go to our website. We have spent a ridiculous amount of time, money, and effort to make it be if I was going to somebody's website, what information do I want to know? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you guys do? What do you, how do you do it? Who are the people in your team? What's your philosophy about money and planning? And what is it going to look like? And it's all there. And, yeah. you know, our marketing team and our, um, I've done just a phenomenal job of really, I think just about every week we're updating the website. So that's where I would start, Drucker Wealth. And then, um, you know, through there, we have a list of upcoming webinars that we'll be doing. Um, we're big on, you know, if, if you build it, they will come. Most of our clients, especially the young ones, have no idea what that's even from. Um, another wonderful movie. But so we're big on education. You know, I built a practice back in the day on doing seminars at the local library and all that. And we built, we met a lot of really neat people and we gave, we gave, we gave. And if people understand that, you know what you're talking about, you trust, you know, it comes back to the first You can't, years. yeah, you can't give away enough value in that way. That yeah. education is. And what's amazing, you know, I thought I, I wasn't really, I didn't think webinars would work. I really didn't. Um, really? Hmm. You know what? I think, you know, if I have a question, I go to Google. Remember I said I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I can go to a YouTube and see any technique. But then it occurred to me, I could watch that technique 50 times over. But if I'm not in, on the mat in person, rolling with a partner, I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if my body is going to adapt to it. And especially the younger people, again, people younger than 55 in my universe, but those folks are, especially in their 30s and 40s, are going to these webinars. They want to, they're looking, they're thirsty for knowledge from someone who's not trying to sell them, yeah. you know, a yeah. stock or a mutual fund or an insurance policy or whatever it might be. Right. Somebody who's saying, hey, this is the truths as we know them. Yeah. You either buy into it or you don't. And if you don't, good luck. Yeah. Nice meeting you. And yeah. that's really it. And the more we've tightened up, this is what we know. This is what we think. This is what we believe. Yeah. The more we have an opportunity to share that with people and they see like, this is who we are. It's, you know, it's fabulous. Yeah. Silver lining of the pandemic. Well, it sounds yeah. like your, your company may be on its way to a fourth generation eventually with all that. And well, you know, my grandson is downstairs. I could yell at my, my wife to bring him up. Um, he almost had a meltdown right before this because I was feeding him. And my daughter said I could give him a waffle that I'd made earlier. It was like hard. And he just like, gum- he's seven months old. He was gumming it. And I made the mistake of taking it away from him to give him like his regular food. Oh my God. You would have thought that something really horrible had happened. So I apologized to him. I gave him back the waffle. I told my wife, you got to deal with this. I got to jump on this podcast. <laughs> so, that's where we're at. Well, I certainly have had a great time speaking with you. Thank you so Same here, much. Martha. Thank you. That- That's it for today. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Please tune in every Wednesday for new episodes. Our expert guests share a wide variety of knowledge on all retirement-related topics. We will see you next week.